The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to Matthew. Jesus said, To what will I compare this generation? It is like children sitting in the marketplaces and calling to one another, We played the flute for you, and you did not dance. We wailed, and you did not mourn. For John came neither eating nor drinking, and they say, He has a demon. The Son of Man came, eating and drinking, and they said, Look, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Yet wisdom is vindicated by her deeds. At that time, Jesus said, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and the intelligent and have revealed them to infants. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Come to me, all you that are weary and are carrying heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. The Gospel of the Lord. In the name of the Holy Trinity, one God. Amen. This has been a very exciting and and joy-filled spring and early summer for me, because I have been involved in various ways in, uh, I think, six weddings. I've presided, I will have presided at five, so it's been like one wedding after another, and the three of them were consecutive Saturday nights, so it was, uh, I started to wonder, which wedding is this one? And then, of course, coming to church this morning, the psalm is the image of a wedding with bridesmaids coming down the aisle, (laughs) so I can't seem to get away from weddings. As I was uh, thinking about uh, the gospel for today, I also... Uh, saw in it a connection to weddings. And uh, one of the things that I find particularly joyful about weddings is the rehearsal dinner, because that's a time when uh, those that are closest to the bride and the groom are together. They're they're friends and their family. Uh, And the friends, many times, it's the first time that they meet each other and family members the same way. And it's informal. It's an opportunity for people to really enjoy one another and to get to know each other. But, of course, there's nothing like the wedding itself. And uh, many times this summer, I have stood with a couple before me and just marveling at the fact that they are about to exchange promises to live together the rest of their lives and to support one another in their life together. It's really a marvelous thing when you think about it. It's it's almost miraculous that two people could come together and make those kinds of promises. Well, as I thought about the gospel for today and these weddings that I've been a part of, it struck me that, there, that, that marriage is really a, a very good metaphor for a Christian discipleship. I'll try to clarify that toward the end of this sermon. But first, I think it's important for us to unpack this uh, gospel lesson a bit. Because there's some of it that sounds a little strange. It's it's in three parts. And the first part 
is Jesus describing how the people have rejected him as well as John the Baptist and the message that they're presenting. And Jesus describes the people as uh, fickle children. So we have this very strange uh, sentence in this gospel. We we played the flute for you and you did not dance. We wailed and you did not mourn. John the Baptist's message was the wailing one, I believe. Uh, And the, the gospel says that he came not eating or drinking, and yet they rejected him as though he were someone with a demon. And then Jesus comes eating and drinking, and they think he's a glutton and a drunkard. And he uh, keeps company with tax collectors and with other people who are outcasts. Uh, it's, I think it's important for us to see in this that the message of the gospel can take two extreme forms. It can be very harsh, and it can sound very harsh, like John the Baptist's message. But it can also have this kind of radical inclusion that we hear in Jesus' message. And there's a bit of truth in both. The one calling us to repentance, to see what's not right in our lives and how we are missing the mark. And the other saying, y'all come. Everybody is welcome. The kingdom of God is for all. The second section, and these don't necessarily sound like they're connected, but I think in, in many ways they really are. In this second section, Jesus is praying to to God the Father and prays in thanksgiving that the message that he and John has had has been kept from the wise and from the intelligent. Uh, At eight o'clock, I said, I know there were a number of PhDs there, and I said, this doesn't mean that you didn't get it. It, we really have to put that in context because it was not about uh, people who are generally intelligent or generally well-educated, but rather it was about those in power and authority. And it was clear that the message that Jesus was bringing could not be received by them. Over and over again, the scribes and the Pharisees rejected that message. They challenged it again and again. And perhaps part of it was because of this sort of uh, radical, extraordinary inclusion that Jesus was involved in. Because over and over, we see Jesus' ministry being a ministry of reaching out to those who had been made invisible in the culture in which Jesus lived. He reached out to those who who needed healing and had been outcast by their family and by their community. He touched people who should not have been touched. He ate with people he should not have eaten with, and he loved people that nobody else loved. So Jesus, over and over again, was opening his arms to those who were invisible. As I was uh, thinking about this this morning, I, I thought, I wonder who in my life is invisible to me. And as we think about that, you know, there are many possibilities. It could be those who uh, are suffering from some sort of physical disability. We just don't see them. Or those who are aging, we just don't see them. Or those who are children, who are among us as children, and we just don't see them. It's very easy for people to fall through the cracks as an invisible person. And Jesus calls us, I believe, to see those people and more than just see them, but to touch them, to love them, 
to eat and drink with them, to be with them, and to see them as fully human as we are. So that part of Jesus' message, I think, is, is clear, at least for us to recognize that we're called to see those that others don't see. Well, the final section is the one which uh, most of us, especially preachers, are drawn to because it's the part that we think can preach the best. It's often the section we turn to when uh, difficult times strike our lives. Come to me, all you that are weary and are carrying heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. What we sometimes miss is that those words are immediately followed by a call to discipleship. Jesus says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. The image, of course, is the image of uh, two beasts of burden that have a a yoke over their necks. And the two of them can obviously pull the load much more easily than one could pull the the load. Well, the load that the people have been carrying in Jesus' time was that very heavy load of the law. There were like 613 laws that had been derived from the Torah. And then in addition to that, there were various rabbinical laws that had been added on. And then when you think about it, you know that uh, you've heard stories about how they had to try to discern how to apply the law. So the application of the law became sort of another law. I've sometimes thought that I would be uh, very comfortable in that kind of a society because I'm very comfortable with checklists. (laughs) I spent most of my life with checklists. I even use a checklist when I pack my bag to go someplace. This is sort of checklist living. It's going down the checklist. So when I was in the Air Force, we used to have what we call decision logic tables. And you could go down the side and find what it was here. And then you look across at what's at the top and where they meet. There's the answer. And it's sort of that kind of way of living, finding the answer, because there must be an answer. But I think what Jesus was calling those people to and what he's calling us to is a different kind of a different way of living the law and a way that lifts the burden. So it's not the burden of trying to find the exact right answer, but rather it is a way of living life as a Christian that brings life. It's a way of living life as a Christian that finds mercy, finds justice. It's a way of living life that doesn't cast off those that are outcasts, but rather draws them in. And it's a way of life that's really more challenging. Because we have to make decisions day in and day out of the right way to act, the right thing to do, because we can't just go to a checklist and find the answer. Many times when uh, I am uh, at weddings, one of the things that I I sometimes uh, include is a reflection on what uh, builds a strong marriage. And one of the things I comment about is the fact that uh, married life I think is the strength of it is built in those very small day to day things that we do that are that are kindnesses or are bits of gentleness that we offer the other person expressions of love that are expressed in in sort of very ordinary ways. It's in the most ordinary times in our life that we build the love and the relationship that's important in a marriage. 
And I think the same can be said for Christian discipleship. I believe that it is in the ordinary things of life where we live our lives as Christians. It's not in those grand decisions that are so difficult that we we think, I can never get it right, and we probably can't. But rather, it's in the everyday decisions that we make about our relationships, about uh, being at work with other people, being in school and dealing with all the struggles that occur there, and being in family and in relationships. All of that is what makes up Christian discipleship. It makes up the life of a Christian. And I think it's there that we learn how to live as Christians. Well, this passage, I think, uh, for me at least, uh, brought up many of the things that I was thinking about as I thought about all those weddings that I had been involved in, about the relationship between the marital commitment and the commitment we make as Christians in this life. We are all called to be disciples, not just uh, the professional ones that wear a collar, but all of us. All of you are called to be disciples. And sometimes that that feels like it's just too big a task. How could we ever be someone like that? One of the wonderful things that we heard this morning was that passage from Romans where Paul talks about the difficulty he has in living the Christian life. And it's it's sort of hard to listen to because Paul writes in a somewhat convoluted way. The sentences kind of roll back over each other all the time. So sometime today, read that passage and think about here is Paul, the one who had been called by Jesus to be an apostle. And Paul is struggling with all the things that we struggle with. He's struggling with his imperfection. He's struggling with the failures in his life, doing what he knows he should not do, doing the things he does not want to do, and not doing the things that he knows he should do. How many times have I felt that in my own life? But the thing that we need to remember is that Christ is still with us. And I think that's a little bit how it's like the married life. I've seen these Many couples stand before me. They're just about to exchange their vows. And I think, wait, do you know what you're doing? (laughs) You're going to promise to one another for the rest of your life. You're going to be together. You're going to help each other. Are you serious about this? And of course they are. They know, they know deep down, every one of them, that this is forever for them. And part of it is because of the love that they have for each other that binds them together. But the thing that's so wonderful is that as they live out their life, they know that they're imperfect. And they know that this one that they love is imperfect as well. And there will be times when they will disappoint one another. But they know that the love that they have for each other will keep them together, will sustain them, and will lift the burden. And I believe in this Christian life, we, like Paul, will really do some things that we wish we hadn't done, say things we wish we hadn't said. But always, always, Christ is at our side, the one who loves us, the one who is committed to us forever and ever and ever. This morning, uh, we have the privilege of baptizing Wesley. 
And it's that, too, is just such a wonderful moment in the life of a community. And uh, at some point toward the end of this baptism, we will say that Wesley is sealed by the Holy Spirit in baptism and marked as Christ's own forever. I can't think of a, of a more perfect image for what all of us are called into. But this life in Christ, where the Holy Spirit is with us, to be with us through all of our life, through the difficult times and through the good times. And Christ is with us because we are sealed as his forever. And for that, we give God thanks and praise. Amen.